Our uh, scripture reading for this morning is out of Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. So we're going to talk about prayer this morning. And quite honestly, this is the type of message that, that I approach with fear and trembling because, honestly, I feel like a hypocrite uh, because I struggle in prayer. I struggle to talk to God. Uh, I think if I were to ask how you're doing with it, you would admit it's not always easy, and we don't always think about it. We're a forgetful people, right? We become self-sufficient. And so this is a, uh, one of the toughest topics that we grapple with just in the Christian life, much less talking about it from the pulpit. Um, and so my desire this morning is not to skirt it, not to dance around it, but let's just address it. Let's see what God's word has to say about prayer. What if I were to tell you that the key to having a healthy prayer life is to come to the realization that we cannot pray in our own strength? that we can't do it right. We can't even get prayer right. The key to having a healthy prayer life is to realize that we are unqualified to even talk to God. And this can feel kind of odd. You know, wait a minute. I thought, uh, you know, a person who has a healthy prayer life is someone who's growing in their theology and their knowledge of God and their uh, embracing of the truth uh, in their uh, growth and spiritual maturity and their ability to make decisions in life, uh, to resist temptation and prayer weaves in all those things as we talk to God. Yes, that's true. Those are all included in our maturing in our prayer lives. But the key to the difference between a mere prayer and a real conversation with God is to be found in the realization that we can't get it right. We are totally in and of ourselves, unqualified to even talk to God. And this realization we see in this scripture, and there's a lot of good news here that we will look at as well. You know, prayer for most of us is a source of much frustration, probably guilt. Um, let me, let me uh, paint a picture of this. There's a, a guy named Paul Miller up in Philadelphia, son of Jack Miller, World Harvest Missions. Um, he wrote a book called A Praying Life. And uh, much of what he says in that book has spoken to me personally. And I'm going to bring in a few quotes uh, from that book along the way. He paints this picture of our struggle with prayer. Um, and here's what he says about it. The glib way 
people talk about prayer often reinforces our cynicism. We end our conversations with, I'll keep you in my prayers. We have a vocabulary of prayer speak, including I'll lift you up in prayer and I'll remember you in prayer. Many who use these phrases, including us, never really get around to praying. Why? Because we don't really think that prayer makes much difference. Cynicism and glibness are just part of the problem. The most common frustration is the activity of praying itself. We last for about 15 seconds and then out of nowhere, the day's to-do list pops up and our minds are off on a tangent. You relate to this? I can relate to this. We catch ourselves and by sheer force of the will, we go back to praying. Before we know it, it's happened again. Instead of praying, we're doing a confused mix of wandering and worrying. Then the guilt sets in. Something must be wrong with me. Other Christians don't seem to have this trouble praying. After five minutes, we give up saying, I am just no good at this. I might as well get some work done. Can you relate to this? This is the frustration of praying. There's a set of expectations that we have about what a good prayer looks like, and it ironically ends up paralyzing us in our conversation, in our relating to God. We need some serious help, don't we? We are needy people. We need help even in our prayer life. I'm going to make three points out of this text that I think um, uh, paint a collage or present a collage of what it looks like to humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus. The first point is that dependent prayer, the kind of prayer that Jesus is looking for from us, is authentic, not fake. You know, on the surface, we <clears throat> none of us wants to be fake. Uh, we don't set out to be fake. Uh, we don't uh, like the feeling of presenting a false front. However, I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we do this. We We want to make sure that we're presenting ourselves to this holy, transcendent God. And uh, there can sometimes sneak in this temptation to, um, to essentially say things to God that we think he wants to hear and to say it in a way that, that we think he would appreciate. Okay, And so we don't mean to be fake at times, uh, but sometimes I think we do. I know that I do. Uh, sometimes we can think of the best prayers are the ones with the eloquent words and have the theology right. Uh, the best prayers are ones that focus entirely on God and not me. Uh, the best prayers are, you know, the ones that last longer than 30 seconds, uh, right? Uh, the best prayers are the ones where we're able to make it through this mile-long prayer list um, on a regular basis. And uh, we'll feel guilty if we don't meet these unspoken expectations of ourselves. At times, this can show up when we're suffering in life, when we're uh, we're really upset about something. You know, we have a coworker, a boss, a spouse, kids, neighbors, people in our lives who say things, do things that are offensive. They hurt. That's not how it's supposed to happen. You know, fill in the blank of whatever those frustrations are. We feel angry. Maybe we're disappointed in something we've been praying for. And we just sort of gave up because nothing was happening. God wasn't answering that prayer. But there's all these pressures and suffering and there's trials that happen. And we might feel guilty about taking our junk to God, taking our pain to God, 
because we don't want it to be about us. This is not about me after all. Right. Prayer is supposed to be about God. So, God, you shouldn't be concerned about my real feelings, which is I'm really mad right now. I am really disappointed right now. I am totally confused right now. And we can feel guilty about taking God those real feelings. And in the end, it can end up paralyzing our relationship with God. In our text, in many ways, the Pharisees' prayer is a model prayer. Do you notice that? Take a look at that text. The Pharisees' prayer is the model prayer. Uh, he used appropriate words. You know, he wasn't being willy-nilly with his words. He was very eloquent. He, he had well-formed sentences. He even thanked God. You notice that? He was very thankful to God. Um, his prayer started with God, not himself. Uh, he talked about his devotion to God. Is devotion a good thing? Yes, it's a good thing. He didn't falter or stutter or make a scene. After all, he's in the temple of God where it's supposed to be appropriate to have it together and say the right thing in the right way. So in a sense, with human eyes looking at it from the outside, the Pharisees' prayer is the model prayer. Uh, we do see hints, obviously, of selfishness, which Jesus calls out. Now, this is a, this is a parable he's, he's presenting here, um, uh, hypothetical people in this story. Uh, but he invites us to enter into this story and, and, uh, and see the realness of this. Um, now, put yourself in the shoes of the tax collector. Okay? The Pharisee just got up and, and did his thing. And Wow. You're the tax collector, and it's your turn to pray. And uh, you haven't received any formal training in prayer. You haven't necessarily been theologically trained to get all the concepts right in your prayer. Uh, you just know that your life is a wreck. You're a very needy person. And so all he can manage to squeak out <laughs> before God in the temple is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all he can do in this moment. He feels the pressure. You can imagine kind of reading between the lines here. If you're in his shoes, he feels the pressure. Okay, well, I've got to get this right. I either have to mimic, sort of fake, you know, uh, sort of measure up the kind, to the kind of prayer that uh, this Pharisee just prayed or just run away. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm out of here. That was just intimidating. I can't do this. I'm, I'm out of here. But there was something drawing this tax collector to God. He, the, there was no option to run away. God was drawing him. Uh, and there was no option to fake it because he didn't have the skill to fake it. He didn't have it. That's all he could do was cry out to God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And so what he did was he broke. He simply called it what it was. He was authentic. He just said, you know, here's the real me. That's all he knew how to do. And that's exactly what he did. He had no pretense. He was a wreck and he knew it. And this is an incredibly risky thing. Do you see this? Do you feel the weight of this, the risk of this? The risk is, oh my goodness, other people are going to hear me falling apart. They're going to see me falling apart. I'm going to make a scene in front of others. That's a dangerous thing because uh, what are people going to think of me? 
Oh, that's the guy that fell apart the other day. Okay, But part of the message of this text is we don't answer to other people. We answer to the God of the universe. And so we have to get right with God. And the first step to getting right with him is to be real with him. We can't come to a conversation with God with any significance or meaning if we're not bringing the real me to him. If it's a fake me, if it's a if it's a polished me, it's not the real me. And I'm not really communing with God in conversation. Now, let's critique the tax collector's prayer for a moment from the perspective of the Pharisee. What was wrong with the tax collector's prayer. First of all, he's a tax collector. Okay, that's significant in this in this story. What is a tax collector doing in the temple to begin with, much less praying? Okay, he you know, again, from the Pharisees' eyes, what is this tax collector doing here? Jesus rebukes this kind of thinking in other places in the scriptures. He says things like, I came to heal the sick, not the well. I came for the unrighteous, for the sinner, not for the righteous. That's what grace is all about. And so the very place where we meet with the Lord, which is temple, which is church, which is communing together, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. When we meet with the real God and bring the real us to him, uh, that's when he really communes with us. But the problem is the tax collector was not really qualified to commune with the Lord Jesus. From the world's eyes, from the Pharisees' eyes, he's the guy who steals money. He's the guy who extorts the poor. That's the guy that is in cahoots with the Roman oppressive government. Uh, fill in the blank of whatever we think of when we think of a sinner. Like that's a pagan sinner. However we define that in our culture, you know, those that are unchurched, those that. Uh, are carousing and just out there in the world and they don't care and they're, they're, uh, you know, they're, their character is just in shambles. They're just making a mess of their lives. That's the tax collector. That's the guy who is unqualified to be in the temple of God. And yet when he is there, he is, just by being there, you know, again, reading between the lines there, he wouldn't be there unless he's repenting of that lifestyle, of that, uh, that old identity. And so he's beginning this real relationship with God, and he knows that he's, he can't continue with life without being with God. So he's a tax collector. He stood at, off at a distance. You can, you can imagine him sort of like shuffling off and just head down in shame. He's beating his breast. He, he is physically falling apart. He's making a scene in church. He doesn't care. He just doesn't care. <laughs> He just knows that he is looking at the God of the universe and he's got to get right with him. His prayer didn't have any thanksgiving in it. His prayer began with him, not with God. Lord, have mercy on me. Okay, now he does say, Lord, uh, but the content of his prayer is, is, I don't know what else to say. Here I am, mess and all. Now, what is going on here in this story? I believe that the main point of this story is to show us what Jesus is really looking for. Not just in prayer, but in life, in how we do life. Uh, and he puts it in the context of this relationship, which is expressed through prayer. 
but he is basically clearing away everything that doesn't count so that we can clearly see what does count in his eyes. We, we see Jesus's evaluation of the two in verse 14. He says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector who made a scene, who didn't formulate his prayer very well, you know, who fell apart, that man went home justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's interesting that Jesus isn't even really looking for prayer. He's looking for humility. And when we really humble ourselves, prayer happens. Does that make sense? He's not really looking for us having a prayer, healthy prayer life. He's really looking for a humble, real relationship with him. And when we are there, prayer happens. As a matter of fact, in the text, it's interesting because as Jesus is describing these two um, people in the story, he says that the Pharisee prayed this. And then he goes on and, and describe, or gives the prayer. And then for the tax collector, Jesus doesn't use the word prayer. It, he just says that the tax collector said. He didn't even call it a prayer. And yet that's the man that went home justified. So whatever we are thinking a healthy prayer looks like, a good prayer looks like, uh, let's let's do away with focusing so much on prayer and focus more on God and and humbling ourselves in a real relationship. And as we do that, prayer happens. Now, there are times when we kind of have to start with prayer and, and kind of say, all right, I just need to start talking to you because I, you know, that's where I need help. Uh, and we approach him and say, God, help me to pray. <laughs> and that's a prayer. That's a good prayer. Um, because we're admitting where we really are. So uh, with authenticity, we need to bring the real us to God. We uh, shouldn't feel this incessant desire or need to have to polish up our language and make it eloquent. Uh, <clears throat> we need to take a raw inventory of our nerve, our raw nerves in life. You know, when I, you talk about a raw nerve, you ever get a raw nerve in your tooth? You know, it's just something like cold or something touches it and just sends electricity through your skull. And it just, uh, um, it's like, what just happened? Oh my goodness. Raw nerves. Uh, let me put it in terms of life. We all have those buttons that when a person pushes it, it just, Oh, you know, we tense up, we react uh, or there's just been a, a disappointment, a constant disappointment in life. And when anybody brings up that topic, it, it just hurts so badly because there's been it, it hurts to hope again for that thing, whatever it is that we have desired for so long. And that's a raw nerve. And so with an authentic prayer, what I'm encouraging us to do practically is take inventory. Where are my raw nerves and just pour it out to God? Just get off uh, on your own, out in the woods, wherever you can be alone with God and pour these things out. Take them to him honestly. And, and don't feel like, oh, I'm going to be burdening God or um, I'm a little bit embarrassed to really give my real feelings here. Uh, I, don't want to be a, I don't want it to be about me. But unless you do that, you're not bringing the, bringing the real you into this conversation with God. We have to learn to be authentic. Secondly... 
The kind of prayer Jesus is after here in our text is childlike prayer, not sophisticated. Uh, you know, when we become adults, um, we become pretty good at, uh, at um, making things uh, sophisticated, putting things into nice, tidy categories and boxes. We learn what's appropriate to say and to do and what's not appropriate to say and to do. Uh, I've got three young kids, uh, four, two, and eight months old, all boys, and it's a, it's a delight. Uh, it's hard <laughs> uh, at times. It really is a delight, though. Um, and uh, Michelle and I have uh, taken a couple of plane flights um, with with the two boys. Well, one with uh, Josiah, the oldest, and, and another plane flight with the with both of the other the first two. Uh, at times, a couple times, one for a family reunion and for something else. But man, plane flights with kids, with infants, lap babies. Oh my goodness, it is just so nerve-wracking, you know, for a dad or a mom. I'm so embarrassed, you know, because it's not appropriate for babies to be screaming their heads off and filling the whole cabin with noise, you know. And so we just feel that, oh, you know, this is not appropriate. We feel the embarrassment of that. You know, I was at a fundraising dinner the other day, and there was an eight-year-old kid at my table, and it was, it was really uh, a lot of fun getting to know these. Uh, this it's a, it's a ministry uh, that uh, that ministers to, to children in the community, and uh, this particular child was just gobbling up his food, you know, and forks and spoons and flying. Everything's you know just crumbs everywhere. And uh, you know, as adults, we think, oh, he's not refined. You know, he hasn't figured this out yet. Um, and uh, you know, that, that's I'm not criticizing any any of the you know the growth in our etiquette and the appropriateness at all. Uh, but but we can think of times where we kind of have become too sophisticated, maybe with God, maybe in our relationship with God. And we, we picture maturity in the Christian walk as something that we, we've now learned how to tidy up our spiritual lives. We've, we now have learned how to be appropriate as a Christian. Does this make some sense? OK, and, and we talk to God in a more appropriate ways. Uh, and again, there is legit that's legitimate uh, in most cases, but I think that undergirding this is a forgetfulness of this childlike spirit that Jesus is looking for, the true key to real relationship with him. The context of our passage gives, gives us what I'm talking about. Uh, the very next verse, in verse 15, it says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth that anyone who will not that that anyone anyone will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is right in context with our passage about the two guys praying, the Pharisee and the tax collector. There is a call by Jesus to uh, to rediscover a certain kind of childlikeness, a certain kind of humility. And so Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life. Uh, uh, gives kind of three descriptions of childlikeness. And the first one is come to God messy. Uh, the other day I walked into, walk, came home from work and I walked into my house and uh, there was Trenton, our second one, and he loves avocados. Okay. I mean, he loves them. So what Michelle does is he cuts or she cuts them in half, you know, and twists the thing out. He's got a half of an avocado there with a like, little kid spoon. He's just using that as a bowl and he's just, you know, scooping he had avocados all over his face. Uh, when I bathed him later that night, I discovered a chunk of avocado behind his ear. All right. Kids do funny things with food. 
a, a different day, he, he had a half of a corn cob and he was answering it like a cell phone. All right. Food everywhere, you know, stuff on the back of it. You know, any of you with young kids or you remember back in those days, it just it's, it's kind of irritating. I have to admit sometimes, but it's a lot of fun, too. But what's so neat about this is my boys are not self-conscious about that. They don't feel embarrassed about being messy around mom and dad. That's just how they are right now. And there's a certain kind of innocence to that where they haven't grown up too quickly. And and, uh, you know, it, it, it would be incredibly damaging if my wife and I were to raise them in such a way where we were scolding them about stuff like that. Right. We don't want them to ever think that you have to sort of put on this polished image in order to relate to mom and dad. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us here. We come to God messy. We we come to him without any pretense, with uh, just sort of a, a, a sense of relief. You mean to tell me that I can come with all my mess? Yes. Yes, you can. He wants it. Uh, listen to um, this quote from Paul Miller. He says, uh, God cheers when we come to him with our wobbling, unsteady prayers. Jesus does not say, come to me, all you have learned how to concentrate in prayer. Does he? Does he say that? No. Whose minds no longer wander and I will give you rest. That is not what Jesus says. No, Jesus opens his arms to needy children and he says, come to me, all who are what? Weary, weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. That's the criteria. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. Don't try to get the prayer right. Just tell God where you are and what's on your mind. That's what little children do. They come as they are, runny noses and all. Isn't that great? We're free to be messy. Uh, We're free to be who we really are. The second observation he makes about childlikeness is that we should learn to ask like a child. Uh, In our passage, the tax collector is not wordy. Um, he just says what's on his mind. We just ask like a child, what's on your mind? Talk to God about it. Uh, what, do, what kinds of things the children ask for? Anything and everything. Uh, Dad, are we going to Disney? Uh, no, son, we're not going today. Dad, are we going to Disney? You know, uh, they ask for anything that's on their mind. Uh, they ask persistently. Uh, Trenton the other day was in the, in the back of the van, couldn't reach him. You know, he's way back there. Uh, and he's got this cup full of these goldfish snacks, you know, and uh, he, he ran out and he's, I want more, want more. Okay, Trenton, calm down. You know, we, we don't, I can't reach you, can't give you any. Want more, want more. You know, I'm not going to scold him for being persistent. What does that tell you as a parent when your child is being persistent? The assumption there is that child really believes that you have the source of what he wants. That's a good thing. When we become too sophisticated as adults in our relationship with God, it's when we sort of shut down this trust with God where we forget that God is the source of everything we need. And we can kind of add this filter onto our prayers and say, well, I shouldn't be asking for what I want. I should just be asking for what I really need. And there's some truth to that. We shouldn't be praying with selfish motives and all this kind of, but that's growth. But my suggestion from this passage is that we don't start with that filter, that we just blurt out whatever it is that we want. 
And guess what? If it's a totally selfish thing, uh, God's going to reveal that to you. You know, I mean, if you ask for, you know, the, I don't know, the most expensive kind of car, and boy, I just love that kind of car, ask for it. Go ahead. Go ahead and ask for it. But you can, you can be sure that as you're walking with God, and uh, if he says no to that prayer request, it's for your good. And you can trust him with that. And so the suggestion here, as a child would do, is ask for whatever you're thinking. <clears throat> and God is a good father. You know, he, he knows what to filter. Let him be the filter of what we get. Does that make sense? Uh, let him be that filter. Let's just ask. Talk to him. God, I really want this. That's what I've really been feeling anyway. I just want to be honest about it like a child is. And so they ask often. They ask persistently. Uh, they ask bluntly. Um, and they, they just don't seem to be aware of what's appropriate and inappropriate to ask for. <clears throat> Why can we do this? There's another passage in Matthew 7 uh, that says, where Jesus says, Everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and, him, and to him who knocks, <clears throat> the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Why is it that we can ask so bluntly, so persistently, so honestly about things that we need, things that we want, things that we're thinking about? It's because we have a good Father. That passage is not so much about asking. It's about the, the character of our Father. He knows what we need. We don't uh, most of the time. And so he's going to help us with that. He wants us to relate to him and remember as a child remembers this is my dad. It's my mom. You know, a child remembers they're the ones that are helping me. They just sort of implicitly trust that. Um, in our adult world, we do become cynical as we experience disappointments. But the tax collector in our story shows us uh, what it can look like to be so real and so honest um, and just ask for what's on his mind. And especially that context passage uh, where Jesus invites the children to come, the messiness of all that, uh, of what God is really after. And so the third point is that dependent prayer, the kind of prayer that Jesus is calling us to, is relational, not procedural. So it's authentic, it's childlike, and it's relational, not procedural. You know, the tax collector in our story, he got it. He understood that his problem was not that he was irreligious. That was not his problem. The problem was not that he was making a scene in the holiest place, you know, in, in, in the culture, uh, in the temple of God, the temple of the living God, you know, the Holy One of Israel. That wasn't his problem. His problem was not that he was irreligious, but rather that he didn't have a relationship with God. And he was repenting of that lack of relationship and talking to him as a child does, who's desperately needy. <clears throat> the gospel reminds us that we are unqualified to be in the presence of God. <clears throat> God sees, uh, sees our sin. Uh, we are sinners. We're running away from him. He's the one that initiated that love by sending his own son. While we're st still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for, for us in that. <clears throat> and so we recognize that uh, the grace of God had, you know, um, is 100 percent. I could not offer anything. There's nothing that I could do to remedy my sin problem. We recognize this about the gospel. And yet, 
in the day-to-day life and our sanctification after we get saved, we forget that. And so our prayer lives can become procedural and um, sometimes even manipulative. Where, you know, James talks about this in chapter 4. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay? So there are two problems there. One is not asking. That's the irreligious person. Okay, start talking to God. That's, that's the solution. Talk to God. <clears throat> the other problem is people who are talking to God but doing it selfishly, and the remedy there is to humble yourself also and talk to God uh, in the realness of who you are and uh, according to, in, in Jesus' name is the idea of doing it, <clears throat> recognizing the lordship of Jesus and not of self. So we recognize grace alone saves us in the gospel, but then we act sometimes in our prayer life as if, Performance matters, as if our wording matters, as if the length of time that we pray is what makes us okay with God for that day uh, or makes things happen that day. Uh, let's banish those thoughts and, and, and think of it more as when we pray, it's because we get to participate in relationship with God. Uh, you know, prayer changes things, but not because we're praying it, but because it's God who's making the changes. And he invites us to participate through prayer because he makes things happen. And he chooses in his uh, sovereign care to do it through prayer and other means as well. Um, Think of it this way. Let's just say you have an old college friend that calls you up and, uh, you know, you haven't talked with this friend in a a number of years. And uh, this friend says, hey, uh, I finally got married. Oh, great, great. Tell me about it. You know, and, and uh, uh, he just starts going off on, you know, how the wedding was. And boy, she just looks stunning in that dress. And and everything just went off without a hitch. All the I mean, it's just a delightful wedding and going on and on and on about the wedding. All right. And you, after a while, you're beginning to wonder, OK. And he says, you know, we've now been married for three years. And I just thought of calling you and, and just catching up and just seeing how things are going. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute. This wedding happened three years ago. How's your marriage? And he says, oh, oh, <clears throat> well, you know, we live in separate houses. She lives across the street. And uh, in the morning, I do my obligatory 15 minutes of conversation with her to get things lined up for the day to make sure, uh, you know, things are getting taken care of and duties are being done and, you know, things like that. And I go off on my way. She goes off on her way. What would you say about the quality of that relationship? It ain't there, right? That is not really a relationship. Okay, now, do we do that with God? Do we think in those terms with God? Do we treat prayer as kind of that obligatory time after this amazing wedding called salvation uh, where he enters into relationship with us? And do we treat this new marriage, this new covenant, this new relationship uh, as, you know, are we sustaining this thing on little sound bites and what we think God wants to hear from us? It's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. And so the so prayer, the prayer life and the ongoing Christian relationship with God is founded on the gospel. And the gospel doesn't just bring us in the door. It's the path we walk on in life. The grace that saves us is the same grace that sustains us day to day. This is uh, is a a wedding ceremony that got us in, so to speak. Baptism, the Holy Spirit, uh, justification, adoption as sons and daughters, all the blessings of salvation And then we live out that marriage relationship 
by talking, by relating, by conversing, all kinds of things in our messiness, in our authenticity, our real feelings, uh, asking persistently, but it's relational. And the good news is that God's justifying grace goes to those who humble themselves on an ongoing basis. Uh, We humble ourselves to get in to salvation, say, I've messed up my life, I repent, I believe, and guess what? We live by faith day to day as well. And that is seen in our prayer life. And so just real quick, we're coming to a close. Practically speaking, what does prayer look like? Um, And I I kind of chosen to categorize three different categories of prayer. One is uh, what we might call the the prayer closet time. This is talked about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Uh, it's this, this time, he, he calls it a prayer closet, or go off in a room to pray uh, with just you and God. And, and that, what that does is it, it makes it not about what others see. There's time that we set aside. We see it modeled by Jesus, where he'd go off on a mountaintop or a hillside or something and pray, be with his Father. Um, there are those times where we need to have that distraction-free, uh, guarded time uh, each day where we're interacting with God, getting our, our real self before God. And, uh, and listening through the scriptures and through Holy Spirit, uh, uh, what he has for us for that day. So that's prayer closet time. The second category is now that you've spent some focused time with God that day, um, have for the rest of that day a sense of dependence on him. You know, uh, you, the prayer, your prayer life is measured by how dependent you perceive yourself. A, a, a dependent person is a praying person. Does that make sense? It's, it's, I, I believe that self-sufficiency is one of the greatest enemies to relating to God. I am so guilty of this. There are times that I go through the day, I may even have a great prayer closet time that morning, and then throughout the day, it's like I forgot about God. I'm not depending on Him for this task right now, for this person that's right in front of me, for this situation that's just, just racking my mind, you know, that I'm stressing out about, that I'm anxious about. And so I forget to be dependent throughout the day And then the third category is this concept that uh, Paul Miller talks about. He says it's it's this idea of leaning in to God, leaning into God. And he tells a story in his book about um, how he has a speech impediment and he gets nervous whenever the phone rings at his house because it's it's like sort of a mental block that happens. He goes to reach for the phone and he feels this weird anxiety like, when I say hello, I'm going to mess it up because he used to stutter as a kid. And so he, he just gives that little story. And he says, now what I'm trying to learn to do is when I hear the phone ring, just sort of have this mental, uh, just a, a quick reminder, lean into God, depend on him right now. Okay, hello. You know, uh, just that, that smaller, uh, more often sort of attitude of dependence on God in smaller kinds of things. And I believe that the more we do this kind of thing relationally and not Merely procedurally, the more we will want to do it uh, more and more over time. And so biblical dependent prayer, as we see in our text, is real, it's authentic, it's childlike. childlike. We get to be messy, we can be blunt, we can be persistent, and we have this implicit trust, and it's relational where we cry out, Abba, Father, our Heavenly Daddy. We talk to Him, not just about him in prayer. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do confess. We do confess that we 
uh, forget the goodness of the good news and how you even want us to approach you. We thank you for the freedom that comes when you call us to recognize that we are sinners. We're that guy, that tax collector. We're the ones that are disqualified for your grace. And yet we do receive your qualification in Christ uh, that enables us to stand before you boldly before the throne of grace and give you all of our needs, all of our concerns and anxieties, all the messiness of it. Uh, Lord, as we pray, as we as our hearts begin to thaw out again and we become childlike and and trustful and dependent on you again, Father, I pray that you would just uh, cause your spirit to to uh, to warm and soften our hearts in relationship with you. Lord, be real to us this week and help us to do the same, um, even though it's embarrassing, even though it feels odd uh, to be that real. Um, Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus uh, not to the righteous, but you came to save sinners and all of us qualify. Thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you that even... Uh, in our failures in prayer, even in our failures in prayer, you have paid for that in Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you for that, Lord. Uh, help us to be more like the tax collector and crying out to you in, in neediness and dependence on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.